This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Thank you for coming. Very Thank nice you to very meet much. You. Yes, you're tall. Yeah, really fun to see. You. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir, for coming back. He is tall. Right? Yeah, he is. Where you Where you want to sit? You You want to sit over there? I've been drinking out of this water bottle, so. <laughs> look, oh, look, we we all got boots on except for me, so that's fine. No, okay. Mine are size 14. Oh, jeez. Wow. <laughs> All right. I wish my wife were here because I don't admit she's taller than me, but she is. And she rides a Harley and has shotguns. I'm scared of her. So. There you go. Now, look, I, I want to first say something directly to you because I feel like you're a huge disservice is being done to you because we're in this wild election season. And whenever anyone hears your name, including the people in the back of the room here, it's like, oh, my gosh. Is this some sort of presidential stuff? And I know it's not. I want to assure them it's not. And I want to tell you, I, I feel like you're doing such a good job on trial to rally the troops in Virginia, and nobody cares. And so for even Governor Kemp, in your situation, it's we have this 2024 mindset, and oh my gosh, these two guys have great popularity in their state, and they're doing good for their state. Clearly, there's a hidden agenda here, and the agenda seems to me to be to make your states work and to get people to show up and vote in state legislative elections. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, and, and it's a real pleasure to meet you, and thanks for the great work you do. And you. I think carrying, carrying over this, the, the airwaves a message, a message of common sense and a message of conservatism, and so thank you. And, and, and I do believe that we're at this moment where we've kind of lost the plot a little bit because this, this is about first delivering results, and it's second of all about convincing people that we can, in fact, win. And we, in fact, have done that in Virginia. Governor, you've done that here in Georgia, which is, guess what? Conservative common sense policies work. And in Virginia, we went from being totally blue to being red in 17, 18 months. We went from being bottom third in job growth to top four in job growth. We went from having schools that were driving people to move away faster than they were moving to Virginia to all of a sudden, Virginia is now number five in the nation in one-way U-Haul trips. You pay attention to one-way U-Haul trips. I mean, I, I, drive by, I drive by the U-Haul dealership and it's stacked full of U-Hauls because they're all coming in and none of them are going out. I mean, this is common sense, conservative governance at work, and it works. And so I just think this is a great moment for us to step back and really compare what's working in states run by Republican governors and clearly what's not working in states that are run by Democrat governors. And we have this great juxtaposition of success and failure. 
And when you compare that also to Joe Biden's failure, and we can see that we can change it really quickly. We can change it quickly, but elections matter, and you've got to win. And that's why I just appreciated your opening comments. We've got huge elections in Virginia this year. We're one cycle off. We're a year off, everybody. So so the year that I was fortunate enough to get hired in Virginia, it was 2021. And now we have our midterms in Virginia. And our entire House and our entire Senate is up. And I believe these are the biggest elections in America this year because we get to finish the job. We have a House that came with me, controlled by Republicans, a Senate that didn't, wasn't up in 2021, but is up now that we have a small minority in. And so this is our chance to put our record to the voters and to say, hey, extend our license to lead. I think we've done a pretty good job. I think people are happy with the results. Job growth has been great. We're, we're fixing schools. We're empowering parents. We're standing up for law enforcement and making sure that everybody understands that you got to back the blue. You can't demean them. And guess what? When you back them, more people go into law enforcement. There's more badges on the street and crime goes down. How about that for a, just a basic reality? And all of a sudden, the, the, the real voting of the feet changes. And we're seeing it change in Virginia. I know the governor has had many years where people have been moving into Georgia faster than they're moving away. Yeah, I, I've just got to interject here and say this is the first time I've seen another governor stand up and quote all of his wonderful economic statistics in front of the governor of Georgia. I mean, don't want to get a competitive fight going up here. We well, do have Chick-fil-A in the University of hey, Georgia. Hey, there's a little bit. There's a little bit of this because, you know, at the end of the day, every business that we compete for is usually competing to come to Virginia or Georgia or maybe Texas, maybe. And, and if we don't get it to come to Virginia, then I'm okay if it goes to Georgia. I just don't want you to win too many times. Well, Eric, thanks for having us back. And, uh, you know, I just want uh, all the Georgia people to know that last time Glenn Youngkin and I were on a stage, he was here stumping for me in my re-elect. So I appreciate Governor Youngkin doing that. Yeah, I made made this point uh, yesterday morning when I spoke about the GDP in the South now outpaces the Northeast because you do have great Republican governors, business-friendly environments, good competition that's going on uh, here and in in states like Virginia where you have great leaders, and it matters. Uh, I think one point to what the governor was just talking about in their elections in 2023, I see see the same thing kind of for us in the 24 cycle here. Um, you know, we had a great year in 2022 with the re-election campaign. Every Republican at the state level got re-elected overwhelmingly, even with libertarians in the race. And for us, the next election in 24 is so important, which is the, the case that Glenn's making right now, because if, if you guys are successful in 23, it leads the momentum in 24 that makes states like Virginia in play. Nobody's talking about Virginia in play right now. But you go up there and help Glenn Youngkin uh, help win these legislative seats. You know, that's going to be two cycles in a row where good things are happening and people are going to talk about that. And it makes it harder on the other side or it makes them have to defend that harder. And we have the opportunity to do the same thing here uh, in the state of Georgia. And that's why it's so important in all of these races, even down to to hold in legislative seats. Governor Youngkin, you missed yesterday the Governor Kemp brought a, his prop with him, which is his pencil, and made the point that if we win next year, we get the eraser to erase all the other stuff. But 
you in Virginia, if y'all win the state Senate this year, first of all, I, I, it is, I, I, I'm on a, a group chat with a lot of political guys in Virginia who note that the Democrats in Virginia have done what some Republicans did earlier, where in primaries they went like to the hard, hard side of the party. Uh, and, and you've got your, your poor and fortunate Senate Democrat wanting to know who else's Pornhub accounts have been, uh, blocked in Virginia that you've got a great opportunity to get Republicans and a lot of independents showing how extreme the Democratic primary process went in Virginia to, to lure people in to take back yeah. the Senate. No, we do. And, and it's, I think, also an opportunity to really uh, reemphasize the fact that in a state like Virginia, which really is a microcosm for the country, you know, we have a huge group of independent voters that we have to win in order to win elections on a statewide basis. And, and we were fortunate enough to win the independent vote in 2021. But we got to go back and win it again. And when when the Democrats have their primaries and they basically throw out everybody who's reasonable and replace them with folks who are extreme, it only furthers our arguments. And, and when, they, when they block bills, and this last legislative session was, was just a perfect example of where they stand. I, I put in a bill that, that basically says if you're a fentanyl dealer and you deal fentanyl to someone and they die, we should be able to charge you with a felony homicide. And they voted it down. They chose dealers over victims. And I put in a bill that said if, if you're a family and your child wants to open a social media account, that child who's under the age of 18 has to get parental approval in order to do that. And the social media, account, the social media company can't harvest your data and sell it. They voted that down and said, no, we're going we're gonna to side with social media companies over families. I put in a bill that said that, that at the end of the day, a bill that had been passed earlier, signed by the previous administration, that outsourced our government to California and now requires Virginia to follow the mandates on what car you buy, what car you buy. So in 2024, Virginians will have to start buying electric vehicles based on California's decisions. I think that Virginians should make this decision, not California. I mean, at the end of the day, the last place Virginians want to be is California because they're all moving to Virginia. But, but they voted that down as well. And finally, last year, we were fortunate enough to convince everybody, even in a bipartisan way, that Virginians were way overtaxed. And we had a $4 billion tax relief package that we got done, four times anything that anybody had ever seen in Virginia. And we ran another $5 billion surplus this year. So I've been fighting to go back for more tax relief and of course, the Senate Democrats don't want any part of it. So the reality is that while we have found ways to navigate, I believe very importantly, tax relief and reducing regulations and empowering parents and standing up, standing up for law enforcement, I have this battle every day with folks who really are extreme. And I think what we'll show in November is that not just Republicans, but independents, and a lot of Democrats are tired of the extremism of the far left and will, in fact, elect a majority House, a majority Senate that are Republican and allow us to continue to accelerate the progress that we're making. So you listen to this, makes you feel good to have a House and a Senate with Republicans in control? <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking about we already did all that. <laughs> but i'm proud glenn yunkin's fixing to do it too that's uh, a yeah. that's a good thing
So, you know, let's talk a little more specifically about the political landscape that, uh, Governor Kemp, you've left a political operation, though your term limited, in place to continue the grassroots operations that uh, other organizations, the state party and stuff, have kind of atrophied in the past to be able to turn out the vote. And now you and Virginia are doing something very similar to just encourage Republicans to not be too clever by half and just all storm the polls on election day, but bank their votes. Yeah, well, I have to say, I, I don't mind. I don't mind being a fast follower, and and the great early voting program that was run last year in Georgia kind of set the the real template on how to do this. I call that the first edition of the playbook here. And so what did we do? Well, we went and hired Governor Kemp's team and said, "Come to Virginia and let's let's write the second edition of this." And Listen, the rules, they're the rules. And I didn't write them, I inherited them. And we've got to go compete. And we've got to get Republicans off the sidelines and not take the risk of missing. And I'm so tired of going into election day down thousands, if not tens of thousands of votes because we're so far behind in early voting. And so we're running a hard press, 45 days of early voting. We're running a, a statewide campaign. We've had help from lots of folks. And everybody is aligned, everybody, from top to bottom in our party about signing people up to vote early. And we have a huge military, military contingent in Virginia. Listen, one out of 10 adults in Virginia is a veteran. We have 150,000 active duty. Uh, we have families in Virginia. I want folks to vote in Virginia and make sure they can. And so this secureyourvotevirginia.com program rolled out hard, and we are signing people up to order absentee ballots if they're at risk of not showing up, or to just make a plan to vote early so that we can bank your vote and get this done. I'm excited about it. People have really taken it up, and I think it'll make the difference, and I think it'll be a key ingredient in not just delivering our House and our Senate this year, but I think this first edition that was written in Georgia and the second edition that is being written in Virginia really can be a template for the nation in 2024. I think another interesting point about that is if, if we're getting our people off the sidelines, meaning they've already voted, so we're taking their name off of the list of people that we got to go out and make sure that we get to vote on or before Election Day, you know, the more people we, that, that have made their mind up, you know how they're going to vote, just get them to go vote. You don't have to call them anymore. Yeah. You don't have to send them another piece of mail. You don't have to badger them and spend money on them. And it, it allows you to go after the persuadable voters, especially in a place like Virginia, those independents that you need to go get with a specific message for that one individual person. It may be, you know, this person over here, it may be a military issue. This person, it may be school or education issues, public safety, law enforcement issues, tax reform whatever that you can go get the persuadable voters. And that's what we were able to do uh, here in Georgia because we had, we raised a lot of money. We had a lot of people volunteering. We were knocking on doors. We were making phone calls. We were using a lot of data and Glenn and I have talked about this to figure out who the persuadable voters were, who, who are the ones that we could get, what is their issue. And then we literally would badger people until they went and voted because we knew we could get them. I'm talking about three or four times we're knocking on their door, we're calling them. And so that's why it's so important for us to get our folks to go out and vote early. Quite honestly, the other side has been beating us at this game uh, the last several cycles. We used to kill them in early voting and absentee voting. 
uh, here in Georgia. And then we got complacent, and then we had other people saying, don't go do this. Well, the rules are the same for both. You know, the rules are the same for both sides. So we have to take advantage and get our people out there and, and, and early and then allow us to go get the persuadable and the independence. Well, I just promised them that if they'd go vote early, we'll stop mailing them, we'll stop yeah. calling them, we'll stop knocking <laughs> on their door. And it's amazing how many people say, I'll sign up for that. You know, it's great as a radio talk show host to have two politicians on stage who are competitive but like each other because I can just sit back here and let them talk. This <laughs> let is me ask good. you a question, Eric. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, Governor Youngkin, I, I spent a lot of time uh, as a teenager in Virginia. My brother-in-law was in the Navy. He lived in Portsmouth. Yeah. Uh, my nieces are here. They, they grew up in the area. And it, it, we would spend a lot of time, my brother-in-law being a huge NASCAR fan, going back and forth yeah. from Portsmouth up to Richmond to the Motor Speedway. And the evolution of Virginia over time from there and then the D.C. corridor, all these massive corporations coming in. And to a degree, I guess you could argue it, it has changed the wealth of Washington spilling out, has changed some of the culture of Virginia. But you've still got this beautiful country in Virginia on the Blue Ridge Parkway and farmers, and there does seem to be this massive disconnect between Northern Virginia and a lot of the rest of the state. How do you just within the Republican Party try to synthesize Republicans in suburban areas of Washington versus rural Republicans? It's something I know, Governor Kemp, you have to deal with here too. Yeah, well, let me first begin. Your description of Virginia is beautiful, and so you're invited to join the chamber anytime you yeah, want to I hear join. It's anytime for you want to join. So, uh, and it really is a re re remarkably beautiful state with beaches and with mountains. Oh, you have beaches and mountains too. Uh, and... and uh, <laughs> And but, gnats. We do have gnats. You have, yeah, they're, the biggest, they're as big as 747s, I understand. Um, but one of the things we have to recognize, of course, is Virginia is, is very different depending on where you are. Agriculture is our number one industry, private industry in Virginia. Forestry is our third. And so we have a giant ag industry that we need to grow and foster. And we also have suburban D.C., um, which has a whole different feel to it. And when we ran in, in 2021, people would say, well, how are you going to win? And I would start out really clearly, well, we're going to get more votes than the other guy. That's how we're going to win. And, and, and what it required, of course, is for us to really sit down and say, where are we going to win? And, I, and people would say, well, how are you going to win Northern Virginia? And I would say, well, we're not. We're just going to lose it less bad. That's what we're going to do. And that's what it took. And we ended up, we ended up getting about 42% of the vote in Northern Virginia, which is about 10 points more than re recent Republicans had gotten. And yet we still had to turn around and we had to win Greater Richmond. And we had to win Hampton Roads, which we hadn't won in a while, which is crazy just given the huge military population there, which we did. And then we had the largest margin of victory in our traditional red counties than we've ever had. And, and we still just won with 52% of the vote. So, I mean, this is a battleground, but we have to make sure we're speaking to everybody. And I think this is one of the big mistakes that Republicans make is, is we spend a lot of time just talking to the folks that they're going to vote for us. And instead, we've got to spend time with the folks who may vote for us. And, and I'm always reminded, I went to meet with uh, a, a, a group called, called the Hindu, Hindu American Coalition, largest group of, of Indian business owners uh, in Virginia. And we sat down and, and we were having lunch with the board of directors and the chairman of the board at the end looked at me and he, he said, well, Glenn, um, we're for you. We agree on just about everything, everything, small business, low taxes, low regulations, uh, religious freedom, uh, educational excellence. We're going to back law enforcement. I'm like, well, great. That's our platform. That's what we're running on. He said, I just want you to know we're for you. 
but you're the first Republican to come see us in 10 years. Um, this is our issue. Uh, and so we've got to go campaign and can't concede a single vote. Because in these states that are traditionally, Virginia was deep blue folks. I just remind everybody, in 2020, the very first state called for the presidential election for Joe Biden was Virginia at 7.01, 7.01. And I vowed that we were gonna go do something about that. Uh, but at the end of the day, the way we do something about it is we gotta go campaign everywhere. We can't concede votes simply because it's hard. And I'll go engage in a debate and a discussion with anybody because we know that common sense, conservative values and policies work. We know that parents should be in charge of their children. Kids, kids belong to families and parents, not the state. And we know that when you back the blue and you have more law enforcement instead of less law enforcement, crime goes down. I mean, these are just basic truths and so come on, let's go, let's go into communities that have traditionally not voted for Republicans and let's convince them that they should. And it worked. I mean, we won the Hispanic vote in Virginia. We won the Asian vote. We won the Indian vote. We got a, a higher percentage of the black vote than, than Republicans have historically gotten. It works. And, uh, and so that's, that's my encouragement to folks is that there really is the ability to break through all of this clatter and to do what we know we have to do, which is win elections. That's at the heart of it. I'll brag on my friend here who did remarkably well shifting demographics from his first election to 2022 and the, the door knocking campaign in the Hispanic community targeting black men in the state of Georgia. I mean, you saw measurable increases, not just of suburban white voters returning home, but of non-white, non-traditional Republican voters in Georgia moving our way. Well, and it's, it's the case really that we can make, I think, all over the country because the other side has just gotten just so leftist in so many ways. I mean, the, the party has, uh, the Democrat party in a lot of ways has left what it once was and has just moved to the extreme left. When you have Democratic politicians that are out there wanting to defund the police, you know, uh, school boards that are playing pandemic politics. I remember <laughs> Governor Yunkin was on the bus right before our rally and we were talking about just the pandemic and other things that we had done in the state and he's like, Y'all's kids were back in school a whole year before ours were. A whole year. I mean, can you imagine that? And so, and when, and when we reopened the economy, and I mean, I had so many Democrats, so many minorities that came up and said, thank you for allowing us to go back to work. Thank you for letting us make the decision. Thank you for fighting our, for our kids. Thank you for doing something about street racing and violent crime in the city of Atlanta, because those issues cut across political lines. You know, those are not Democrat and Republican issues. You're talking about somebody's child. You're talking about some family's safety and their economic viability. And you can campaign on those issues in any neighborhood. And it's like Glenn says, we don't have to necessarily get the majority of those votes. I mean, we moved, I can't remember the number, but we moved the African-American vote two or three points. And it, it creates a huge advantage for us and a big problem for them because we made Stacey Abrams stay home. You know, she couldn't go. She couldn't go to these new groups because she was trying to defend her base. Governor, I've never met a governor from Virginia before. So I get to ask you this question. Do you ever sit in your office and you think, gosh, Thomas Jefferson had this job? 
I mean, it's, it's got to, and, and then by the nature of, of your state and its constitution to, I mean, you've got one term. I guess you can go for broke out of the gate because you're not running immediately for reelection. Literally, let's go get stuff done twice as fast as you ever thought you could. I have a clock behind my desk that uh, is, was set at four years the day I started, and it ticks down by the second. And so I'm reminded every day that time's a tick and we better get to work. And, and so there's a real sense of urgency that we, we bring to everything we do. And on top of that, there's a huge sense of legacy uh, because I, I, I live in a house that was built by, by President Monroe when he was governor. <laughs> and I walk out front and I look at a state capitol that was designed by Thomas Jefferson and I take a right and I go work in the Patrick Henry building. I mean, this is what we live in in Virginia. This is, these are the foundational values of our nation. You know, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that we're endowed with certain unalienable rights and among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You guys know this. And this is at the heart of the spirit of Virginia that, that we watched go to sleep, go to sleep under really oppressive left po leftist policies and that we had to wake back up. And we didn't just wake it up in Republicans, it woke back up with independents and a lot of Democrats. And this is, the leg this is the legacy that I, every morning when I wake up and I have my quiet prayer time, I thank the Lord for putting me there. And then I ask him for help. <laughs> so this is a big deal every day. And, and, and then I walk down the steps and I stare at that Capitol and I sit there and shake my head and say, how did I get here? Um, but it is in fact that that foundation of liberty and freedom of, of our constitution with James Madison, of, of, the, of the voice and the pen and the sword that was literally Patrick Henry, Thomas Jefferson, and George Washington that created the freedoms that, that were, of course, handed down by the Lord, but then gained by, by men who fought for them. This is what, this is what I want to make sure I'm trying to carry and fulfill. And I think this is a moment as a nation where we step back and we just have to remember these fundamental principles that at the end of the day are principles that underpin everything that makes America, America. And we've got to go to work in order to protect them, preserve them, and make sure that they're a part of our kids' futures and not just something they read about in a history book. Thank you. Governors, both of you, before, before I let you all off stage, and, and I, I know federalism, the states are different, the laws are different, the, the powers of different groups are different. Could you all both, though, talk about during COVID what it was like dealing with the, the government and the teachers, well, and I realize you came in afterwards, but because of this, the teachers, organizations, and unions that didn't want to, particularly more so in your state than ours, not go back to school, but also the school boards that treated parents so badly. Well, I, I have a great story that really sums that up. Um, when the vaccine was fixing to come out and everybody was wanting to get a priority on the vaccine, well, obviously it made sense to have healthcare workers have vaccine priority. Well, the teachers union and a lot of the teacher groups in Metro Atlanta started saying, well, we need to have a priority. Well, the schools weren't even in. At, at that point, um, and and they were giving me the hardest time. Wrote me a letter, you know, went through this whole rigmarole, and we said, "Look, we are going to prioritize you all as as soon as we can, but like we need to make access available for the people that it's killing. Number one, the elderly, those that were, you know, had health conditions, and then our frontline healthcare workers 
and other first responders, which to me made sense. And they were criticizing that, and it was all political. So we finally get more availability, so we go back and prioritize them. And one of the local school districts, they decide that they're going to wait three weeks before they go get uh, release the vaccine to, to their public health department. When every other school in the state, people were going back literally the next day. And, and, you know, we didn't have mandates or anything else. We were just making the availability. But it just shows you how insane, like, all of that was political. It had nothing to do with the science. It had nothing to do uh, with, you know, anything other than they were playing pandemic politics. And it, it, it was like that the whole way. It was like that dealing with the locals. And then it was also, quite honestly, unfortunately, like that with a lot of uh, people in Washington, D.C., like Deb Burks and, and uh, Dr. Fauci. Yeah. yeah. And I had a slightly different perspective because we were campaigning during 2021 and then I was hired in November and then started work on January 15th, 2022. And so during that entire period, just to be clear, Virginia schools were still locked tight <laughs> a year later than they were in Georgia. Virginia kids were still being told that watching class on a 12-inch computer screen was a quality education. Businesses, for a big chunk of that, were still closed. We have a, we have a city, Bristol, Bristol, Virginia, and right across the state line, which is on State Street, uh, cleverly named, is Bristol, Tennessee. Virgi businesses in Virginia were shut. They were open in Tennessee. A lot of people were going across the way to eat. Um, but we saw a state that was ch a true example of failed COVID policies. Because Virginia all of a sudden was near the bottom in job recovery. When the, when the national report card came out, we saw that Virginia had the largest learning loss in the nation in fourth grade reading and math, the largest in the nation. I mean, we all saw this didn't work. There were mandates that you had to go get the vaccine. Every, every kid was mandated to wear a mask in school. And so we, we rolled in on January the 15th and the first thing we did was issue executive orders that say no more mandates for state workers. You want to get the vaccine, get it. If you don't, don't. It's your call, not something that the government's going to decide for you. Second of all, parents, you decide if your child wears a mask or not. That's not something that the state is going to mandate. You decide. And then finally, we opened up business. And we said, folks, the health department's taking a step back. We're open for business. And the state just lifted immediately. Kids were back in school. Parents were, parents were excited that their children all of a sudden were enjoying going to school again as opposed to dreading it. And we started the journey back from where the progressive left policies had dragged the state. I don't think there's any, any better example of, of bad leftist policies that weren't working and all of a sudden common sense conservative policies that do work. And now we see ourselves 18 months later and we're, as I said earlier, we've had, we've had literally record labor participation. We now all of a sudden have 10-year highs in, 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 in labor participation and the size of our labor force. Our schools all of a sudden are turning around. Now, the entire time, getting back to your comment, the, the Teachers Association, the Teachers Union, were fighting us every single step of the way. And they still do. Listen, we still fight this every day because of the power that the teachers associations have because they tax the teachers because they, they don't get career advancement without being part of them. And then they turn around and use that money in order to progress the progressive left agenda. 
And in fact, they talk less about kids and more about, uh, more about politics. And this is the reality. And I think this is one of our big challenges. I always appreciated the fact when the heads of the teachers unions would show up in Virginia to campaign against us because that was, like, that was an invitation to get more votes for us. Um, but we've got to continue to recognize that the role of the teachers unions in America is not to pro progress their children and families it is literally to be a political organization. And we just need to all recognize that. I know it's not a no secret, but that's what they do. And we battle it every day. And I think we've made huge progress. Governor, last question for you. Um, how is it to get up every morning uh, with the burden of knowing you don't have the two-time college football national champions in your state? <laughs> so... So I'll just, I'll just give you a little, it's a little snippet into this about how, how proud your governor is. He was just doing me a favor and helping us with a video about early voting. And at the end of it, he needed, he needed to wrap up by saying, and go vote. And I thought he was going to say, go dogs. And <laughs> that was a problem. Luckily, you know, we, we held him back. Um, but listen, if somebody's got to have two-time national champions and it's not a school in Virginia, it might as well be somebody in Georgia. Listen. It is, it's phenomenal to meet you. Thank you for making this trip down for this. I appreciate it tremendously. Thank you for coming back, Governor. It's great to be on stage with both of you. Governors Glenn Youngkin and Brian Kemp. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.